you know, the reason that we make mistakes that other engineers come up with ways to solve those mistakes and make us like better developers in a sense. Right. So um, it is it is quite important <laughs> eventually <laughs> to be as lazy as possible. Like, for example, the, the software that we built was uh, in some sense a product of laziness. I just didn't want to wake up and look at if if my server yeah, yeah. was up and running, right? right. And, uh, you know, you keep doing that across the system, automate as much as possible. And um, you aggregate all of that into this massive thing, which is developer stream. So the best right. developer probably, um, you know, does the least amount of work. What is up, everyone? And thanks for tuning in. In today's episode of the Big Ideas in App Architecture podcast, we speak to Akshay Kayasta from Converse Now, who is currently the Senior Engineering Manager leading the amazing Converse Now solution that is supporting food tech. Akshay and I talk about how Converse Now is solving complex problems by leveraging AI into their solutions and by architecting their solution from the ground up to scale and tackle Super Bowl level events. It's a brilliant conversation and one I hope you will enjoy. So pump up that volume and get ready for an insightful conversation with Akshay Kayasta. All right, Akshay, how are you doing, man? Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Thanks so much for inviting me, Diva. It's great to be here. So as we begin, right, for everyone, uh, you know, on listening... We just want you to kind of talk about what what are you doing right now? What are you up to? I know we, you work with Converse now, so maybe let's start there. Tell us a little bit more about Converse now and what what is your role at Converse now? Um, well, Converse now is a voice AI company that's been trying to like you know solve um, you know the problems of the labor shortage in the food tech market. Um, you know, there's most quick service restaurants have been struggling to, you know, uh, cover all the issues with the labor shortage in the market right after COVID. You know, you know, companies have been struggling. People have been joining. Um, you know, retention has been really low. Attrition has been high. Costs of training a new agent again and again every few months is pretty high. It's, it mounts up, right? Um, what we've been trying to solve is providing a consistent guest experience through voice AI and then like, you know, just the ability to take orders correctly and, you know, reduce that one small task, allowing the uh, the operators to like, you know, focus more on the food quality and focus more on their work, which is probably what they're hired for, right? So that's what we're doing you know, and trying to use AI for all of that. Oh, that's brilliant. And Converse now has been doing this AI stuff for almost five years now, right? It's a five-year-old company. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So you guys must be really having a moment now, especially with the last, say, eight, nine months where everybody is now talking about AI, but you can say, that, well, we have been trying to talk about it for almost five years now. How yeah, does that feel? Yeah. yeah, it's been a while. It's been a journey, David. I mean, um, you know, f- for a long time, even like, you know, even in the investor uh, area in the VC market as well, like, you know, AI has been such a hot topic for a while now, right? And voice AI Ever since, like, you know, um, CD came out, Samsung's uh, competitors, Google Assistant, Bixby, all of these competitors came out. Voice AI was the buzzword, right? And um, you know, people started putting it everywhere. I, I don't know if you remember, like, you know, every app wanted to have its own, like, you know, voice AI pod and all that stuff. Even every banking application right now wants to have its own voice pod application and everything. But the complications of building something um, that was, you know, running so well through voice uh, has been a challenge, right? Um, right. Alexa has been struggling. Almost everyone has been struggling, but like, you know, the past 10 months, it has just drastically changed. Everything yeah. has just become so much easier suddenly, right? Um, mm. <laughs> and um, the potential has just like quadrupled, I guess, or even more than that. So, yeah. yeah. The past few well, we, we do have to go insane. back and give credit to... Um, you know, folks who have worked on transformative uh, or transformation models that are focused on large language models, right? Uh, I think right. there has been some amazing, uh, you know, you know, breakthroughs in the field, especially around those models. And that's why large language models kind of have taken a, a you know, a central space in pretty much everything. So I wanted to get into your role a little bit, um, you know, before we get into the solution itself that Converse now has. Uh, tell us what your role currently is at, uh, you know, Converse now. 
So currently I'm a senior engineering manager. I drive a bunch of different teams. Um, I drive like, you know, the platform team. And, you know, I'm also sort of like as, I work as a floating architect across the organization in some sense. So I'm like, you know, kind of working with several different teams, um, you know, driving products around, you know, how to integrate generative AI into different pieces of our architecture or just rewiring the platform itself to provide a better experience, uh, reducing latency uh, and so on and so forth. Several different challenges that we are like, you know, trying to tackle across the company right now. Got it. Yeah. And uh, tell us how a young Akshay decided that this is what he wanted to do. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So the story goes uh, all the way back in 2018 when my, my former manager from Samsung, uh, where I used to previously work, uh, he sort of reached out to me and he told me about Converse. Now he he used to be the VP of engineering uh, at our company. Um, and only recently, you know, um, left us. But he reached out to me and he reached out to uh, you know my other friend who was actually engineer number one at Converse now. Um, to sort of like, you know, pitch this idea uh, about like, you know, using AI for like, you know, improving CX, but like, you know, make it specific to voice AI. And like, you know, we had a history of like, you know, um, working on voice AI uh, with our prior experience of working at Samsung. So all of this kind of worked really well. And it the thing that really drove, uh, you know, me into this decision was just the just the fact that, um, you know, it was such a fresh idea, right? And there was just so much possibilities. And one of the things that I was always like, you know, sort of looking for was the autonomy to um, actually build something of my own, like, you know, build my, take my own decisions, yeah. um, you know, and like, you know, make my own mistakes and like, you know, have the autonomy to do that. Right. Uh, and that that was like, you know, just there, like it was just handed over on a platter. Right. Um, so that that was the driving factor, to be honest. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you how, how and, and I was going to go in another direction, but I suddenly when you said that something came to how important do you think is the freedom to create important for developers uh, when they're trying to build new solutions? Like, what what do you think about that? Yeah. I think it's massively important, right? Because right. Uh, when you're starting off with something, you have you know, you may have some level of confidence that it's going to work out. If you have a hundred percent confidence, it's probably not an exciting problem for you anymore. Right. If it is an exciting problem, you do not know if it's going to work. Right. So there is that small, tiny rush that you have in your mind, whether like, you know, can I do it like this or can I do it like that? And, you know, compared to a decade back, if you look at the world right now, there's at least, 10 solutions, 10 SaaS solutions in the market for every possible thing, right? So the permutations and combinations of like the tools that you could use, the languages that you could go for, the frameworks that you could select, it's just insane, right? So given an open-ended problem, how would you go about solving it? And what, what um, you know, really, it's kind of like being in a, in a, in a grocery yeah. store like you know and, and so there's a fruit stall and there's like all kinds of fruits over there and you know you get to select whatever you want yeah right? there's yeah no, i um, think it's a good time yeah yeah no i agree i think it's a good time to be uh in tech right now just because of the plethora or the op the amount of options that you have i was speaking to um one of the guests we had on our podcast was Christopher Stura, who's the director at PwC. And he's got an amazing career going back to, you know, developing. So he was telling me like 20, 25 years ago, he he actually wrote his own database because he he didn't want to, he didn't, there were like few options and who, whatever was available was like so expensive, like Oracle was expensive at the time. And you would write your own options. And then in the last say 15 years with open source technology and all of these different efforts that different people have put there's so many options available now so what i wanted to come back to from that was i mean it's a great time but you as an engineer now as an engineering manager when you're building solution uh you know how do you go about picking the right uh solution you know well how does that process looks like for you at converse now to be honest you know this is one of the things i i think like you know this is something that i'm dealing with right now to be honest okay um, there's, there's just, like you said, there's just such a plethora of tools that's out there. Right. And I have like, you know, certain use cases, um, where 
in my opinion, it's probably a better idea to just uh, build those tools yourself, like, you know, invest in-house because of the, you know, the slight complexity of those situations or the customizability or whatever, right? So there's two dimensions to this. Either you can let uh, your product define the tool or you can let the tool define the product, right? Mm -hmm. So in cases where you are okay with the tool defining the product, you can definitely go for a tool that already exists out there and you can potentially be limited by the abilities of that tool itself and drive your product through that. And sometimes it's enough, right? Sometimes you don't need a lot, so it just works. But like, you know, in a scaling company, in a growing company, there's you're always going to come across a situation when where that tool is going to be a bottleneck yeah. and then you're going to be stuck, right? So being able to foresee into situations like that is, I think, what's important in making that decision of whether you should go in-house, put some investment in, um, build something that works exactly perfectly for your needs and you know allows you to scale well uh, versus like probably choosing something uh, out from the open source market or even like, you know, a SaaS tool, pay for it and then use it. And potentially you might get like, you know, limited by some functionality or the other. So tell us a little bit more about from that point, right? Like the kind of solution that you have. So from what I just understood from what you were saying, one of the things that you're solving or the problem you're solving for the world is that there's a shortage of people trying to take orders so you have an AI-based voice solution where somebody like me will call a restaurant and say, okay, I want to do something and it can take mm-hmm. an order. I, on my end, as a user, will never understand that I'm interacting with an AI and I have given right. this perfect order. Well, I've given a perfect order, which has been taken perfectly and then has been sent to the restaurant for it to be booked and delivered. Is that is that, did I get that right? That's exactly what it is. Uh, with one okay. exception though, um, as much as we can try, it is almost close to impossible to like, you know, impersonate a, a, a exactly. human being, right? I mean, so it's it's quite obvious, like, you know, as a user, maybe for the few opening sentences, you might be confused that you are potentially talking to right. an actual human being who's just being unnecessarily formal right now. But <laughs> after like, you know, a few iterations, you definitely know that you're speaking to AI and that you're speaking to a system, right? Got it. Um, and, and um, you know, there's there's a very funny thing over there that the moment people realize that they're talking to a system, uh, they start behaving differently. Like, yes. you know, you'll be very cautious about what you're saying or you'll be very calculated about your, um, you know, decisions over there. And um, that's counterintuitive to sort of like, you know, what AI is trying to solve, right? What AI right. is trying to solve and what we are trying to solve and, you know, definitely using LLMs um, is that, you should be able to speak the way you are with humans and the system should still be able to understand what you're saying, right? Instead of the system having to guide you through this, like, you know, very complicated set of questions, which makes you feel uh, like you're in a, in a Google form or something, right? Just running through voice though. Yeah. And so what you were saying, I mean, there are two problems, right? Like one is the fact that there is a bias that immediately comes into anybody's head because we are so used to speaking to normal human beings and there is an interactive flow and there is different emphasis that we put on different words and there is accents and things like that. So it's natural for us to like feel like we can we prefer talking to a human being than talking to an right. AI, right? There is this... but. The second thing I was thinking about was the problem you're trying to solve. There are two two problems, right? One is you have to make the AI sound like a human being. Mm-hmm. And the second one is the conversation itself should feel like a natural human conversation. conversation. right? So these yes. are two. Um, so what does Converse now do? Like, are you tackling both of these problems uh, to for, in your solution? So... Two things, uh, like, you know, I think the first problem, the problem of uh, trying to sound like a human is something that we do not necessarily focus a lot on, um, primarily because, like, you know, the customers almost always figure out that they are speaking to an AI and, you know, their primary focus is to get their order right. At the exactly. end of the day, like, you know, they just care about getting the order right. So our primary focus is to get the conversation experience, the the dialogue itself as natural as possible right and the reason you need that to be as natural as possible is because 
if if our system has truly understood the customer well the system also needs to convey that back in a yeah. natural enough way right uh, we've had past experiences where you know system understands um, the user perfectly but you know just because we are not able to convey that small bit of information that yes i got what you said correctly yeah back um, the user gets further confused and they're like i'm not sure what to do anymore and they like you know, just disconnect and cut the call yeah so there's a lot of like you know psychological and uh, behavioral uh, things uh, that factor into like you know how to bring about a natural conversation and it's not just ai and there's a lot of like you know um, other pieces that come into the factor as well yeah but it's a the, very interesting challenge there yeah i mean it's an interesting problem because i i say something there has to be speech to text happening uh, and then that text has to be composed and understood where i feel like large language model definitely helps in coming back with a response so i i get that and then that needs to be converted into text to speech back so the so it's a lot of real time processing that you guys are doing exactly exactly and there's a bunch of like you know further complications out there with like you know um the 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 way people speak uh yeah for instance if you go to a drive through you're looking at a menu and you're trying to order right so you're trying to think what you want to order and you're trying to speak at the same time so you're going to take these gaps sometimes you're gonna like you know just go uh right and like you know hold on for like you know five seconds or something like that so the system needs to be fast enough yeah and the system also needs to wait when it needs to wait right so there's right and and implicit understanding that a human mind has that you know i need to wait and the human mind can immediately see when us like you know when you're done speaking even though you have taken like these massive breaks in between but for a system to be able to determine that and understand that is quite complicated and like yeah. you know we have had to build like in our models contextual models uh we've had to use nlp just to identify where to take a break right right when to understand that you're actually done speaking yeah, yeah. so um Quite I think that those like are the actual engineering problems. problems. And the reason why exactly. I can relate with this so much is like when I took a, like I went and did data science and analytics for two years, I took a break. And one of my final projects that I worked on was I was trying to figure out, and there was this big rumor that Siri is always listening to you and Amazon's, uh, yeah. well, uh, well, Alexa is always listening to you and then Amazon's always listening. And, uh, and, uh, and I was like, is this true or not? You know, so I took that uh, question as one of the products that I did uh, towards the end and I used like a Python speech-to-text library with Google and I realized that for whenever you have to do a prompt right say hey Alexa or Alexa it's constantly needs to listen to that queue so it is listening however does that call go all the way to the API and get stored that's a different question altogether so and and this similar problem it's a very complex problem to solve how do you engineer that uh, wait time and to be always listening, right? Like I'm in my bedroom and I say Alexa and my uh, Alexa in kitchen kind of is has heard it. So it is going through like a loop trying to listen for the prompt, which is an interesting problem. And that problem you have taken into the solution at Converse now, which is a really interesting engineering problem. Um, and then you also have to consider what the the accent or the the way that is pronounced back right so do you have your own in-house solution for that or are you using any api or an external third-party solution for that we, we have a bunch of different solutions that we sort of consider together because you know no one solution works perfectly right. uh, there's again like you know for speech to text for instance right there's a there are several different problems um one of the biggest problems is that when you're making a phone call um the audio is going through the like going through pstn which is like you know the phone network ultra low bandwidth so that's like you know eight kilohertz audio yeah which is generally not good enough for like you know uh, transcriptions um you know all these new services that keep coming out all of them have solved like uh, you know transcriptions for like you know 16 kilohertz really well uh open ai whisper works amazingly well for 16 kilohertz might not necessarily work really great for eight kilohertz, right? yeah yeah so you know there's a lot of challenges over there where you know you have to go in-house sometimes build some custom solutions um then add other issues to that you know because when someone's making an order they're probably asking someone else that hey what do you want right so yeah. there's like you know crosstalk happening over there there's background noise someone's probably playing tv over there or they're in the car and there's this engine noise humming and you know the expectation over here 
is that the system's always going to understand what's happening because the human mind can, right? So uh, there's a bunch of different problems that we have, which we try to like, you know, solve through different solutions. There's uh, external services that allow us to like, you know, um, differentiate speaker IDs, right? So we can identify there are two different speakers over here. We have in-house models that allow us to like, you know, provide additional accuracy. For instance, um, we use contextual models to and LLMs, you know, to sort of like, you know, identify if we misheard something. And like, you know, in this context, what we've heard, the phonemes that we've heard probably like meant something else instead. Right. Several different solutions uh, that we try to like, you know, make sure that the prediction at the end of all of this is potentially as accurate as possible your solution when i was checking it online it's pretty great actually just the amount of engineering effort and the real-time uh processing that you have to consider and again what you just shared is a big problem right eight kilohertz audio it is that and again you are a musician and we were talking about this when we first met as you you understand what a what an eight eight kilohertz uh, sound looks like and 16 and then if you are Somebody who have done production, you know how much you have to do DSing. You know you have to remove hums, and then you have to amplify the exactly. sound sometimes. Yeah, and but there are certain people who have solved that problem for you, so you are trying to use their solution. But again, all of right. this has to happen real time, which is a big, um, you know, engineering problem to solve. So this is awesome. You know, it's it's great to know how you are looking at the problem. Have you um, looked at uh, eleven laps by any chance? Like if there's a we have, project, we have. Pretty, pretty dangerous project in my opinion, but yeah, uh, yeah. very interesting. No, we, what you... we have integrated with uh, 11 labs and we've integrated have, with okay. a bunch of other, you know, uh, similar competitors. I don't know if you've heard of Rhyme.ai. They're I have, pretty yeah. good as well. Yeah. yeah. So uh, again, uh, same thing. Uh, the 8 kilohertz thing also applies back when you're converting text to speech, right? So yeah. uh, 11 labs, audios. Rhyme, uh, Rhyme AI audios, like, you know, you convert them to, like, you know, the normal conversions happen at 44 kilohertz. They sound brilliant. They sound amazing, right? Yeah. I downsample that to 16 kilohertz, still acceptable, still sounds pretty good. Downsample that to 8 kilohertz, it is not the same anymore, right? So basically, when you're listening that same person back on the phone, uh, it it does sound a bit robotic. Um, yeah. The accents are there, the the fluctuations are there, all of that's there, but like it does sound a little bit robotic. Yeah. But it's still like, you know, what they've done is brilliant. What they've done is like, you know, amazing. But doing all of this kind of makes me realize, um, remember every time you call up a bank or you call up like, you know, one of those like, you know, IBR systems and it feels like why are, why is this audio such bad quality? Yeah. Now I know why. <laughs> right, right, right. I think we, now we have lots of respect for people who have built those systems too. When you're trying to build right. a more AI-based replacement for that, uh, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think my I have, I use Eleven Labs. I actually pay for it uh, for some of my fun pro- personal stuff that I'm doing. Uh, and I I looked at the project and I felt like the audio translation that I'm getting is the closest uh, for at least 44 hertz. You know, yeah. uh, quality. It's pretty good. I mean, um, there were times when I literally felt like, man, that sounds like me. You know, uh, yeah. it, it even caught my Indian accent in in and tried to do a pretty decent job. But again, with what you said, if you downsample that to eight kilohertz, uh, eight kilohertz, it's gonna lose some of that vo- voice and it's gonna add some noise, which does affect it. So it's again an interesting yeah. problem. So it's good to know that you're using all these solutions in your problem. You know. So. We do, we do. And we actually like, you know, from both sides, we sort of work with Google as well. You know, we are in their beta program. So we keep experimenting with like, you know, all the the, the latest models that keep coming out. Um, you know, we're sort of like, you know, working a lot with um, Conformer CTC and Whispers models as well. We've been trying out a lot of different things. So each has their own problems some have yeah. problems with deployment some have problems with training yeah. um, some require more training data than the other but like you know they perform better so there's pros and cons to all of these models and like you know just um putting in the effort to identify which one would probably work the best is and um, you know sometimes you'll realize that like you know you'll put in a lot of effort to build an in-house model and it only performs so much better than like yeah. you know uh, uh out there in the market ready model right. 
and you know such disappointing news just you know breaks <laughs> your heart but you know you still have to try and yeah, do the best yeah i mean i think we always want like our solution to have 5% significance error but exactly yeah <laughs> never really happens you know uh, and you know you put in put in whatever you know data training data set you want to do uh, and then the test set can be however it needs to be but then when you finally look at the results you just feel like you haven't gained uh, but i do feel like the way you were just talking about how you're leveraging different solutions that are already there for your overall product i think definitely there has been a lot of effort that you would technically would have to do on your own now getting yeah. rid of because open ai has brought a great solution or yeah you know uh, 11 labs as a uh, the only um, solution that i struggle with with 11 labs personally is a cloning one where you uh-huh. can actually clone your voice and you're like you know so i have been ethically uh, you know talking about in ethic forums about how there needs to be uh, some sort of a classifier and i think they released a classifier recently where you can upload an audio and check for authenticity if if their product was used it's interesting there's still a beta though yeah even i mean um, i don't know if you know about that but uh, open ai's own attempts at building a classifier for identifying whether a given response this is for the llms uh, for identifying whether a given response is a generated response versus an actual text and they had to close that project down because yeah. it's such a difficult problem to solve right um audio is still you know potentially a, an easier problem because you know there's going to be like some artificial uh, nature to that audio which can p- potentially be detected right but um on on the text level it is such a massive challenge right it is a challenge yeah on on text level is challenge i think um i tested out a voice um you know classifier that uh, uh 11 labs released recently mm-hmm. uh, i think mm-hmm. about 4 5 weeks, weeks ago and i yeah. cloned a voice that i was testing and then i put it in there and i think it was able to detect that it was a so i was like uh, glad that they detected it properly <laughs> i didn't do it actually testing. yeah no but that's that's such insane strategy by uh, 11 labs you know um yeah. to build a tool that can break the world but also provide a weapon to like you know handle that exactly. so you know that's that's actually... i mean i think all ai companies have to come up with uh, a way exactly. to talk about how they are securing um and i think it has to be done uh, but the solution that you have with converse now right like what we talked about just now for the last 10 minutes is the problem itself that you're solving and the front end side of that problem but you also have to consider okay this is a disparate problem where you're like okay i have a voice one comes you tested now you have to put this into production and have run for multiple different voices different people coming and talking so you have to consider scale and all of this in real time so let's talk right. about the back end a little bit how do you start going designing all of that for your problems um you know again um, designing this has been um a learning process for us right like we started off I, some of my earlier learnings from um, like you know from my earlier companies was that like you know immediately um uh, go containers like again like back in 2018 like you know that was the thing just yeah. two containers for everything possible right and i knew back then that like you, know, you had to get into kubernetes like it was still something that you know companies were struggling with or like not really struggling with but like you know companies still were thinking is it really necessary is it going to be overkill um do i really need an orchestrator um you know a lot of big companies would do it but like you know smaller companies would definitely consider if it is worth the effort right but a few tough decisions we took um you know early on was that we decided we'd go the we we look for the hardest solution out there right <laughs> so we we decided to um you know spin up a proper method on kubernetes um we sp- like you know we designed our own so- software and we built our own systems um we basically built our system to work as an sre uh, by itself right so yeah. basically our system would automatically spin up servers whenever required make sure they're healthy do smoke tests do all that stuff and if for whatever instance a server were to be deleted or closed or something it would immediately build it back up right wow. so um auto healing and all of that stuff we try to embed that early on into early days itself 
uh, we had to build a custom operator and a lot of custom software and a lot of custom uh, you know apis and all and almost everything was done in golang i was such a, a big fan of golang you know in the initial days itself i think um, just you will have the, a lot of friends at cockroach uh because yeah. <laughs> we we built the entire uh well i would say cockroach db a cockroach labs uh, because yeah. we built the database with colang as well but yeah sorry i cut you off right. go ahead <laughs> yeah oh yeah and the reason i got into cockroach and um, you know we eventually used cockroach for uh, converse now was because i was so much into golang uh, cockroach db yeah. was one of the star golang projects and i was like these guys are doing an insanely great job and uh, you know i had sort of worked, played with uh, cockroach um, self hosted it in one of my hobby projects and like you know i was really impressed with it right um so i decided to like you know actually use it for our company as well and you know early on days we had the self hosted hosted version of cockroach running you know a bunch of the stuff but all this hard work around like you know taking the difficult route during the early days paid off because you know we scaled to up to almost a thousand stores wow. without needing to hire uh, a, a new sre at all like it was just two sres that could handle the entire scale and wow absolutely had to do nothing at all obviously like you know there were um, places you know bugs that we could handle but you know it was something that you could add into the software add it into the system and the system would take care of the like you know of the servers so it was a pretty in- like you know interesting thing that um, you know i felt that we did um to, to tackle um, a, a different kind of solution you know around scale yeah yeah i mean it's brilliant to know that you from the very beginning have been considering what can we do to make the system as efficient as is possible without the intervention of anybody right it's it kind of yeah. goes with the the ethos and the principles of your you know engineering practice where let's use ai let's use automation uh, and let's yeah. make the system to run as good as possible without us going and fixing it right yeah. so that's brilliant so so you're using kubernetes uh, are you like ra- using gke or are you using eks GKE. oh yeah so because GKE, you're more yeah. google right now okay we're more google right now right okay so you gke and you built these amazing practices for containers at the data layer you are using cockroach for cockroach, uh, cockroach, cockroach db for some uh, work and uh, yeah. Uh, what uh, and your the entire program you're using golang for that golang and obviously you have to use python for uh, you know all the ml um, <laughs> so, machine learning stuff no, yeah. obviously yeah so all the Got machine it. learning stuff definitely on python but you know we're primarily limited to these two uh, tools at the moment Got it. yeah so what i'm i'm curious to ask because i i don't use golang personally i have more javascript python those are my go to languages but languages. I, yeah yeah so sell me why golang is amazing <laughs> all right so um i'll tell you uh, initial days we did use python for some of our projects yeah. and while that problems uh, solved right now and like you know this problem the same problem has been solved for javascript as well through typescript but my uh, one of my initial problems with uh, both python and with javascript was like you know just the lack of type safety Mm. right and um i myself made several mistakes uh, because you know your data type could be anything absolutely right so the amount of checks you'd have to put in uh was counterintuitive in my opinion i i always felt like you know those checks could be added like could be forced into the process and if you were to force it into the process um, there's no way you'd make mistakes that would like you know break a system uh, in production um and golang sort of like initially came up with all those concepts of simplicity of like you know type safety and um, you know obviously the perf- the performance um, of uh, golang code is also insanely great right obviously there's like you know new um, js uh, runtimes you know i don't right. know if you've heard about bun uh, which is pretty I've recent heard of it. yeah yeah so bun people are saying that bun has like you know um equivalent performance to golang at the moment and like you know all of that's insane right now but like you know back when we started obviously like you know the primary reason um people go went for golang was because of performance um, performance because yeah. of yeah because of being able to like you know deploy software um you know very easily it just builds a single executable can be run anywhere any uh, you know operating system makes it very easy and um the best part of all of it was the parallelism within golang right, right? um 
I don't know if you know about coroutines, but like, you know, the use of coroutines versus yeah. threads versus like, you know, all that stuff. I have used threads in Python and I, I don't like it. So, like it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't enjoy uh, the, the way it queues and the way it threads, you know. Um, so I, what you shared, similar perspective I've gotten from engineers at Cockroach Labs as well. And um, some people who like the fact that it's, it's way more simple to program with Golang, you know. It so, is, yeah. it is. I mean, I think it has the easiest, like, you know, relative to Python, like, you know, similar to Python, the learning curve is very easy. You could Mm -hmm. get into the the, uh, language today and, you know, within a week, you'd be writing something significant. It's that easy. Well, yeah. So I'm going to go check out uh, Golang and start programming and I'll say, Akshay led me to it finally. He was the one who converted (laughs) me. (laughs) Man, that's awesome. So uh, you were talking about something that I feel is very important for folks to kind of understand. I mean, we all have, we work in uh, tech, right? And um, there is no ultimate developer. I've never met an ultimate developer. I have met Mm. the I have met some great architects, right, who understand and have the foresight and vision. But when it comes to development, uh, there's no ultimate developer. There's no developer who hasn't made mistakes. So talk about a little bit more about, um, you know, why is it important to make mistakes as a developer uh, for building a great solution? Uh, yeah. Might be a little I mean, bit of a, a abstract, wide question, but I think you have great <laughs> developer experience. And I think that uh, is something that I wanted to kind of bring out, you know, so... I think I think being um, being careless sometimes and being lazy is why uh, you know engineers have come up with solutions to fix those problems, right? So right. if I were to never make mistakes, then I would never build a problem that someone else wouldn't have to solve. Like right. if uh, if we could all code on like you know pen and paper, or if we could all code on a notepad, then people would never have to come up with IDs, and GitHub Copilot would never have been a thing, right? So it's inherently, you know, the reason that we make mistakes that other engineers come up with ways to solve those mistakes and make us like better developers in a sense. Right. So um, it is it is quite important <laughs> eventually <laughs> to be as lazy as possible. Like, for example, the, the software that we built was uh, in some sense a product of laziness. I just didn't want to wake up and look at if, if my server yeah, yeah. was up and running, right? right. And, uh, you know, you keep, doing that across the system, automate as much as possible. And um, you aggregate all of that into this massive thing, which is developer stream. So the best right. developer probably, um, you know, does the least amount of work. That's, that's, that's what I've the, heard. And I, I think yes. that's true too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so now you went from being a developer with like great experience with machine learning. And now you're a senior manager leading. How big is your team now? Um, my team, I, 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 I drive uh, a bunch of different teams, but I drive almost approximately 17 people right now. 17, um, yeah. Yeah, across the organization. And it's not a massive team. It's uh, it's a bunch of different small teams that, you know, I uh, help drive uh, primarily around uh, data engineering and, um, you know, the platform itself, the infrastructure, and, like, you know, some efforts around, like, you know, using... Um, LLMs in different parts of the system right now. Um, there's obviously a more dedicated team um, that's working on solving problems around, um, you know, our inference itself, uh, our NLU, right. our core NLU, and like you know, we're sort of like you know, embedding whatever we can, learning from um, you know, Open GPT, Open AI GPT models, and all that stuff right. into it. And you know, surprisingly. I, I feel like we've been like, you know, quick to uh, adapt this because like, you know, our solutions are already using uh, OpenAI models and they're out in production right now. Right. And, um, you know, uh, I, I don't directly work with those teams, but like, you know, like I said, I'm a floating architect. So I, you know, work with those guys a lot to, you know, uh, you know, kind of like steer the architect, you know, uh, right. and put that uh, perspective uh, for them but like it's a lot of interesting work happening across um, you know all the teams and like you know just it's it's a wild startup energy if if i put it right uh, it's just yeah, like, no, i can it's a lot of people running in a lot of different directions yeah so how do you uh, how has the transition been for you from being a developer to now 
being in a position where you guide the team into making the right decisions uh, or uh, how 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 has that been for you like uh, do you enjoy that um, process uh in my opinion it has been one of the hardest transitions for me right because i've always been a doer right um yeah yeah for two consecutive years my managers gave me one feedback that you've got to stop doing and you've got to start letting people do stuff right <laughs> so um <laughs> obviously initially like, i built most of the stuff then you know i i started having like you know people in my team um they used to do work uh, they used to like you know i used to give them tasks but like you know sometimes i would like inherently end up finishing their tasks for them right because you know I, I grew impatient sometimes and like you know i got a lot of sort of like you know negative feedback and you know it was a hard hard learning for me to be honest but like you know yeah at at this moment like you know i've successfully sort of like you know realized this enough through mistakes and you know um it's it's a journey i think uh, to be able to like you know hold back and say that no this is something that you have to understand you have to go through i can show you yeah. i can guide you i can give you hints or i can just maybe i'll just ask questions right um yeah, with, yeah. with some engineers i'll just go and ask questions and i'll be like why did you do this um why did you decide to do this was there a reason and sometimes just that questioning itself uh drives the thinking and allows the developer right. to understand like you know maybe yeah. there's another approach to this yeah which is i mean exactly which is good yeah which is good because i i think it's 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 part of growth right and right. i have done similar things where i have a tendency to things that i'm really passionate about or products that i'm really i started that i want to see succeed right and then i mean it's just natural for us to like jump in and try to save whatever wrong direction somebody might be going in but at the same time i feel like from it's it's a transition from becoming a developer to a manager and then from realizing that you're not really a manager but a mentor your team exactly. or uh, or just a post uh, that they can come and have a great conversation with so i'm glad that there is this uh, perspective that all of us young engineers and developers have kind of grown into now uh, yeah. it is brilliant yeah so um talk to me about um one thing that i was always curious about the solution that you have with converse now doesn't really have to sit and up, get applied within just the uh, you know the food or the restaurant industry right you can apply that use case within banking or say insurance when somebody calls for a claim uh have you have you considered or have these conversations come up where you are like well this is not really domain specific but the problem and the training set is going to change obviously because right the conversation is so different so what leads to looking at the problem differently when it changes domains so interesting thing over there was that we were open domain when we started off um right. when 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 our company started it was not specific to food tech we only right. pivoted to be specific to food tech i think 6 months or 8 months into uh, our journey and the reason we did that because um it's difficult to build a generic system in ai um having a niche makes it easier to solve that problem well and um build a build a solution that can scale well uh, if we were to you know go multi domain it becomes potentially more difficult to scale i think fintech uh, you know i i i we have competitors not in uh, food tech but in in conversational ai in general there are yeah. uh, competitors who focus more on like you know um customer service and fintech and you know several other domains but um i think it works for them because their knowledge base uh works the same like you know most of right. those systems have a very similar looking knowledge base right so any conversational ai system would require a knowledge base um you know from which to extract the information give it back as long as we have a similar looking knowledge base which could be you know which used to be graph databases before with llms like it's it's going to be like just a text file could be your knowledge base and you can still get it right. out um the problem with food tech uh, specifically was that the knowledge base is coming from another api which is a pure system of its own right like you know um, right. a point of sale system has its own menu has its own database you have um, such massive companies um that that are building these restaurant menus within their systems right uh, the reason food tech was such a good area for us was because food tech is such a difficult area for it's an uh, interesting you know, the, different yeah 
yeah, the barrier of entry is definitely higher. Um, you know, yeah. anyone with a good conversational AI could potentially solve the the kind of things that we're probably trying to solve as well. But yeah. um, the actual barrier to entry is to be able to like, you know, integrate with these uh, point of sale systems and build that knowledge base out of a real live running menu, right? Right. Um, because you you could be ordering something and they could like, you know, uh, run out of olives, for instance, and your system <laughs> has to be immediately be able to say that, sorry, yeah. we don't have olives anymore. So right, right, right. stuff like that makes it, you know, interesting, increases the complexity of the problem, but also like, you know, allows us to then do really well within that one domain. Got it. So does Converse now, so I didn't think about this until you said it. So do you, you are also real-time getting feedback from the restaurant on what's available and what's yes. not available. And that's something that you have to consider as well when the AI, yes. so you have to train that piece as well or like consider that at least. Wow. Exactly. Interesting. So there's a lot of pieces. So, you know, one of the craziest pieces of solutions that we had to build internally was that we had to build an integration system that, you know, integrates with all these different POS vendors and brings in their data into one centralized format, which then yeah. becomes our knowledge base, which then becomes right. like a live running database for us. And that allows our system to like, you know, our system when, when our system says identifies, uh, you know, a certain order, right. And, you know, identifying the order itself is such a massive deal. Um, you know, there's people ordering, crazy combinations you've seen yeah. how starbucks orders can be right um yeah. there's people ordering pizzas with like you know half cheese and half pepperoni and you know just insanely complicated combinations right right right, um, right right so being able to identify that then being able to like you know convert that into what the pos expects right this translation is insanely difficult and um you exactly. know again like hooking up all the live uh, changes makes it an even more difficult problem and so, then you also have to consider consistency in your data right because exactly um, because if you if somebody misses out olives they said they need olives and you said yeah well, we'll give you olives but if that's right. not there in the database it's not consistent you gave the wrong order and that can affect customer experience so you have to tackle that's, all of that as a developer sometimes you occasionally might feel like okay big deal we like you know sent in an order without olives that person's not going to die, right? But then right. as a business owner, and like, and that's also mind, a mental uh, shift that I personally had as I grew up uh, was that, you know, you, you you need to start thinking as a business owner sometimes right. more. And uh, having one bad customer experience, it's not just um, that one person's bad experience. It could also, that one person could be uh, an executive in, you know, you know your next customer, or yeah. could be any any anyone else, right? So um, one of the like you know mentalities that we kind of uh, try to have is to focus on customer experience first, and like and then any everything after, right? So it we are okay with having uh, worse accuracy, but right. we are not okay with having a bad customer experience. Customer experience, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I think which is critical. Um, and you also have to make sure that all of this happens with like low latency, right? Uh, exactly. So when you now have scaled to like thousands of restaurants and stores, and you have to also work with all of these different POS systems, which are each different owned by different companies, yeah. and you have to centralize <laughs> all of that, you are looking at a really massive, and now I get the scale of the problem a little bit more right. just the way you described it. It's a very interesting problem that you're solving. Uh, talk about how you look at uh, latency in terms of deployments, right? So all these thousand restaurants are not really in just one part of the region. You have to deploy these in EKS across multiple regions. Like, do you have to then, um, what, what, how do you handle all of that? Yeah, so one of the ways we handle that is, um, uh, like I mentioned, you, what we sort of do to... Um, allow these customers, allow each of these customers to have their own fine green solutions sometimes. And like yeah. I said, like, you know, each customer has their own menus. So they also need to have their own custom twists to their solutions. Um, mm. You know, every customer, every system, every restaurant would probably want to uh, 
um, you know, speak out their name in a different way or like, you know, yeah. provide their upsells in a slightly different manner, so on and so forth, right? So our system eventually has been built in a, in a pseudo multi-tenant way where we end up spinning up, you know, small clusters of microservers for nice. each identifiable customer, right? And then that that's where Kubernetes really comes to the picture. Right, um, right. And, you know, the pods within our cluster, like, you know, scale up massively and then you embed coding principles, you embed HPA into all of them and you have an operator that's orchestrating all of that and uh, you make sure you have, uh, you know, proper resource budgeting allocated, right? So we have a very smart mechanism to automatically assign uh, the right amount of, you know, memory and CPU and resources um, based on like, you know, what kind of traffic that server is going to expect now, right? right? Um, and then you add on HPA on top of that, that allows you to like really handle peak load and peak uh, solu- peak uh, volumes um, really well. But at the same time, we got to then think about costs. So then we got to make uh, a system that can shrink down when there's nothing happening and Very really good. Yeah. expand up massively when everything's happening. And, um, you know, one of our biggest challenges uh, is, uh, for instance, Super Bowl weekend. Super Bowl weekend, everyone's making orders, right? Everyone's yes. uh, calling in and making orders. We almost always run out of capacity in terms of our agents, uh, you know, because uh, our system also has, like, you know, some agents um, as a fallback mechanism when our system is, you know, like I said, customer experience eventually trumps also if AI is, absolutely not able to take that order it does fall back to an actual human being right, right. um and super bowl weekend we almost always um hit the limit we almost yeah. always hit the limit uh but the system survives the system never yeah. breaks apart so um yeah. that's, that's actually and it's really great to see that happen like being able to see that volume really grow up your systems just somehow manage to uh handle all that traffic survive so all many. of that yeah Exactly. I've worked with I've worked with many companies in the past with we've had where I've heard and had these Super Bowl level conversation where mm-hmm. uh, technology kind of makes or gets broken breaks for a company or a use case on Super Bowl weekend. Like I've heard lots of people who've had bad Super Bowl experience and they've said we're going to change our database. We're going to move from this database or to now uh-huh. this database. We're going to stop. Uh, using VMs, we are going to move to Kubernetes, we're going to orchestrate the whole thing. And the great thing that I've really enjoyed listening to you, and that's insightful, is the way you've built everything for scale from four years ago to have the vision that this is where the industry is going to go and we will need to scale for Super Bowl events. And having that foresight and building that into your system has been brilliant to know about. Um, Tell me about and I know we are getting close to the end of our conversation today. And I I just look at this as Part of conversation one, part two, yeah. part three, we'll keep doing. Uh, but what I wanted to understand was, we spoke so much about AI in the beginning, um, and we're talking about how it's been helpful. I want to get your insights on where do you think it's going? Where do you think Converse now is going to uh, take uh, AI and go f- in the future for your users? Right. I mean, like, you know, I'm speaking like AI is AI has been there for a while now, right? And you know, people have been using it in such different ways. Um specifically speaking about generative AI, which has been like, you know, blowing up right now, is um you know it like one of the things that, you know, I like to tell people is that it is one of the biggest tools that we have been given right now. Um, but it's not a magic pill. And that's that's the thing that like, you know, really uh that's that's the fine line that's the fine print that you know it it's an amazing thing but it's not a magic pill so being able to use it in the right places and in the right ways is what really will distinguish one company from the next and that's what we're trying to do right now so that we're what we're trying to really focus on is to find problems that really require a solution using llms potentially right so right. you got to stop looking at pieces of your uh, software architecture, which are already working really well, right? I wouldn't push an LLM into my database. Why would I do that? Mm. I wouldn't do that yeah. because my database works really well, right? So where would I put LLMs in? I would put an LLM in in a part of a system where algorithms are not cutting it out, right? So I'll try yeah. to put in a model to do uh, some of that work. I'll try to you know, build some data around it. I'll try to put in, um, you know, generative AI or like, you know, a model to fix something where I have 
massive amounts of data already or i have the ability to curate some data um, and you know fun fact with llms is that you don't even need so much data like you know a few thousand um, example cases is generally always now it's good enough yeah 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 now it's good enough to your fine-tune your model right um and like you know, as long as you're able to build that data you can actually even have a model ready and see if it is like you know comparative in performance um and just like you know i'll, I'll for instance uh, i'll give you a for instance uh, within our system there is a small piece uh, of uh, code which we had written that summarizes your order right so you you've just added like you know a bunch of different things to your order you added pizza you added like you know a a chocolate cake you added like some crazy customizations to your pizza you know half and half and all that like you know crazy stuff and um and you've probably added like wings and it's like you know it's a combination of you know i've got six of one flavor eight of some other flavor and like in 20 of the remaining and all of that (laughs) um probably looks sounds like my order actually but <laughs> <laughs> but but you get what i mean right um yeah when you, when you are to summarize that order it becomes long and tedious and you know with orders like this uh there's a lot of grammar involved right so yeah you know when you're talking about size it has to come before it becomes an adjective right but then like you know the numbers come afterwards and there are some things which are special instructions which are said in a different way we like you know let's say you want your wings well done right so i'm not gonna say that i've added well done for your wings or something like that you know that yeah yeah. those small mechanical things which algorithms or like you know traditional algorithms generally end up doing yeah yeah i mean that's also that's a difficult prompt problem too right like i mean if you ask chat or like i mean i've seen differences between 3.5 and version 4 where uh, at the same prompt, I can tweak it four different ways and the result is different, um, you know. And uh, so you have to really fine-tune and kind fine-tune. of have places. So you're not making this solution easy, Akshay. <laughs> you're just bringing <laughs> bringing uh, uh, ways to show how cleverly you have built this solution, you know. So yeah. a lot of credit to you and your team. Um, I, I think uh, one thing that should help you in the summary is... Um, the open ai increasing the token limit so yeah it did it so, did so yeah we actually solved this we we actually figured out a smart way to um and i'll not disclose it but yeah, don't do, <laughs> we, no don't do it <laughs> yeah we, we actually figured out a smart way to tweak our prompt uh and like you know uh, run the summary through um open ai we we tested open ai we tested out even um the palm 2 models from google and right. interestingly palm 2 models managed to do pretty well um at yeah. fractional costs and um you know almost negative like you know zero latency so i think it'll come st- down to cost yeah i yeah. think the way it's going now uh, and i used uh, the latest uh, i used bard a few days ago after mm-hmm. the latest updates and i have to say that the results i got from bard for a similar prompt on gpt4 4 months after bard is released looks so much better than chat gpt although i feel gpt4 is still still the best a little yeah. bit ahead yeah. um i think uh have, i don't know if you're checking out cloud 2 or cloud yeah. 2 Cloud Cloud is actually yeah. right now i think um cloud's feature sets uh, you know just it's multimodal feature sets being able to like you know browse the internet being able to like you know dump in like uh documents and doing all that stuff is like you know is what sets it apart so for me yeah. uh Personally, like I, I use Claude for like more analytical stuff where I need like, you know, some document analyzed and stuff like that. I right. used uh, OpenAI for like, you know, more mechanical stuff where prompts are like, you know, um, there's yeah. more semantic understanding to be uh, met. And um, if everything's easy, I go for Palm 2 where like, you know, all I want is like, you know, lower costs and lower latency and stuff like that. Yeah. Now, this is going to be interesting like, and to see. And I'm also kind of curious to see how it all shapes up. Um, you know, you can go with one model or mm-hmm. you can uh, have a, a, a multi-LLM model kind of solution, yeah. which I feel will be more cost-effective at some point. will also rec- bring competition within different companies who are trying to sell LLM because it's a lot. It's a lot uh, of um, amount that OpenAI is going to charge you for all the the costs that exactly, you have with OpenAI. Exactly. Yeah. Because of the tokens and because of the frequency, right? And um, 
as our system scales, like, you know, for something like our system, uh, a solution like this goes in the micro scale, right? So there's like, you know, so many small pieces where this is going to be called from. And like, you know, a, a cents difference can make such oh, a massive a billing difference. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah no, it I mean, it's great. It's, I mean, I mean, this is since I've started doing the podcast. I mean, I've loved, I've wanted to talk to somebody with like, who's solving a real AI problem. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've had great pleasure talking to different people who are building amazing systems. But uh, I was particularly excited about our conversation. And I'm really glad that we went into the details of some of the things that you're solving without spilling the secret sauce. <laughs> but I'm like, really excited for what you guys at Converse now are doing, you know. Uh, so, Here's the, one of the last questions I typically ask uh, because I feel like there are a lot of developers, engineers who are looking at solving problems and, of course, are considering AI. What is your advice on sources and places where they should go and lean in on uh, as as you kind of close out the podcast? Uh, okay. Um, I, this is um, quite interesting because um, for me personally, um, I think there's been like, you know, two primary ways, two or three primary ways where I sort of like, you know, keep myself up to date in some ways. I mean, like, you know, the first one without a doubt and almost every developer does this is uh, Hacker News, right? Hacker yeah. News eventually like gives you, at least channels you towards the right type of, uh, you know, trends that you should be following and you should be keeping yourself up to date with. The second thing, um, ironically, is... Um, Twitter and like you know I just feel uh, <laughs> so conflicted seeing that but like you know for me at least personally um, following the yeah. right kind of people following the right academicians and like you know the following the following more legit sources on Twitter has right. been academically very um, you know giving because like you know I always get exposed to um, you know interesting insights about like, you know, existing papers. For instance, when the Transformer paper first came out, like everyone was so active about it, discussing about it openly on Twitter and their opinions allowed me to think in different ways, uh, in ways which I would have probably never thought by myself about it, right? Um, interesting I thing, I don't know if you read about the uh, superconductor uh, uh, paper hype, which just came out recently. No, um, I haven't so, read um, Send it oh, to me. Okay. Send it to me after the after the yeah. I'll, I'll send it. Yeah. But like you know, it's it's pretty crazy. So th these are the two ways I generally keep myself up to date. Um, yeah. And this is like you know just a gateway to like you know go into better sources. Um, this like you know most of these posts allow me to find actual blog posts or Substacks, which have like you know consistently be been putting out like you know insanely good articles and right. then I then like you know eventually go bookmark those and like you know drive those in my own way oh, but, that's brilliant uh, yeah no that's brilliant uh the you know off late and i haven't hmm. seen this I, I haven't heard this often from people but many people i've spoken to recently have been telling me uh that how reading papers is significant now also, now yeah. you also have the help of, you know, Claude 2 or exactly. you know, GPT-4 where you can just put a paper in and it can summarize and make it, uh, you know, readable to you uh, and uh, you make makes it more human <laughs> to exactly. relate with the paper, you know. Uh, but I think never before have we seen this level of information uh, getting digested so easily um, before and now then also getting applied in the field quickly because sometimes you would have papers getting released 15 years ago that would get applied when they felt the time was right or this exactly. made sense but now a paper gets applied in production way quicker than it used to be before so uh it's it's That's we are true. living in fascinating times it's insane it's insane right now yeah well i just wanted to say uh, as we close akshay you have been awesome i mean and i'm really really uh glad that we could talk about what you guys are working uh, with you know converse now on and uh, super excited for you guys to scale from thousand restaurants to uh ten thousand then two hundred thousand to a, and to a million restaurants or stores uh you know uh, and i will we'll be here to you know talk about it in part two what do you say? Awesome. It's been a pleasure, David. Like, you know, I mean, like, you know, our earlier conversations as well. It's always been such a pleasure to talk to you. And yeah, let's hope for the best. I mean, like, you know, we're trying our best to like, you know, 
serve our product to as many people as possible market stuff will give it a shot let's see what happens yeah we'll I, definitely mean, I think the markets and the, the market swing in the right direction now slowly yeah, yeah mm-hmm. but surely right and again uh thank you so much for hopping on and everyone go follow akshay uh, as you said uh akshay you could people can follow you on linkedin linkedin is that one yes. of the uh okay but do you write your own sub stacks or engineering blogs or anything that you want to share with people as well um right now not necessarily i've not i don't really get the time to like you know add as many blog articles as i would like to but um hopefully soon um and yeah. hopefully a bunch of uh, blogs around like you know some of our internal tech as well which we'd like to release uh, from our company blog sites itself and Very cool. um, you know probably post those on linkedin when i get the chance Awesome. For everyone following, if for the time being, while Akshay puts up those blogs, go follow Converse now. I think they have amazing content coming out. Uh, but again, thank you, Akshay, for hopping on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Same here, David. Just, just been amazing this time. Yeah.